So I know you're thinking, ugh, really? A sermon on tithing is probably what Mike said. I really hope that that's not how it comes across today, that that's not what we're looking at, that there was, there's so much more here. And I, I'm sure you do. You can call him the sermon on the amount. He loves him so much, right? Um, but no, I, I entitled it Give Graciously because that's what this was about. As I, I read through this, and Chris and I had talked about it as, as we looked at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, that it's this one Pauline thought. And so we're going to look at both chapters. I'm going to do at a time. So I know it's a lot of scripture, but I think it's important for us to see what Paul's doing here with both of these and not have that broken up. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read 8, 1 through 9, 15. It'll be up on the screen for those of you who do not have your scripture or your Bible ready and handy. So let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace that God has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this... Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that, he had, that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you can excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire it. So now finish it as, now, let me start verse 11 again. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much has nothing left and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put into, your heart, put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted your appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to all to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. 
For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and have found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about those about you to those men. Chapter nine. Now it is superfluous for me to write about to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, and as I said, you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing for you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest for righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for this time we have to to worship you through the hearing of your word and then through responding in our own lives to what we've heard. Father, you speak so much about giving graciously and, and giving generously here. And we know that sometimes hearing a sermon on, on giving is, is one of those tricky spots in our lives. We pray um, that this really be a, a, a way that we honor and glorify you, that we recognize giving as an act of worship, and that we give graciously as you have graciously given to us, and that we do it from the overflow of our hearts and the abundance of love that you have for us as well. Father, I pray that as we continue to to hear your word and, and to move on and, and to look at this, you would convict us, you would challenge us, you would draw us close to you through the proclamation of your word today. Put me aside and let you be glorified in all that is said and done here. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
So in chapter 7 of first, or 2 Corinthians, Paul is really expressing his joy in seeing the Corinthian church repent and, and turn back to the true gospel. right? And so he was excited about that. And he was, I'm so glad you guys are doing this. I'm, I, I, I didn't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm glad that I hurt your feelings so that you repented. I'm sorry, not sorry kind of, kind of moment in chapter 7. And here he's looking at these repentant Corinthians in, their, in the church and he's asking them to complete the collection, this offering for these poor believers in Jerusalem. And it's the exact same offering that Paul actually has already mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. There's, there's not a whole lot of, of new stuff that Paul's talking about here. This is something that was already taking place. And these poor believers in Jerusalem are, are Paul's primary concerns through chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And this idea of caring for the poor is repeated throughout the Old Testament. It happens over and over again through Exodus, through Leviticus, through Deuteronomy. We see in the Proverbs where, where people are called to, to care for the poor. Um, we, we, there's, there's, it's a repeated theme. And that repeated theme carries over into the New Testament as well. But we need to understand this. Being generous and giving to the poor is not one of the primary problems in the Bible. It's not the focus here. It's not what the Bible is trying to solve. It's not trying to eradicate poverty in the world, not a physical poverty. The supreme need that we see painted over and over again in Scripture is grace for the soul rather than money for your body. The supreme message of the Bible is grace for spiritually poor sinners. But that doesn't mean that we can neglect the importance of giving graciously, as Paul is calling the Corinthians and us to do in this passage. So Paul begins with this appeal by demonstrating how generosity of the Corinthian church towards those suffering believers in Jerusalem proves the grace of God in their lives. That this generosity that you have toward these Jewish believers, Gentile church, shows that there's a grace of God working in you. It shows that the glory of God is there. And it doesn't just show it to them and to the other church members. It proclaims the glory of God among the world and the lost who are seeing it. Why in the world would a bunch of folks who practice this faith that are Gentiles give to people who practice that same faith that are Jews? You guys shouldn't be getting along. That makes no sense. It must be a God thing. And this financial generosity comes from the gospel grace in their lives as well. It shows Christian cooperation and it shows fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ globally. Right? We're, we're as connected to, the, to the, the, the family that is planting that church in inner city St. Louis as followers of, of Jesus Christ as the people in their congregation. Right? That we're that connected globally. I, I think of of, of pastors that I know in Ecuador, pastors that Leah and I know in, in parts of Africa. We're connected to them globally because of what Christ has done, the gospel message, the grace that's there. right? And Paul even calls this offering a grace. And he does this because true spiritual generosity is made possible only through God's grace being made manifest in the lives of believers. It's God working His grace out in our lives that gives us this spiritual generosity.
And we first see that the churches spread out through Macedonia have already kind of contributed to this offering in Jerusalem, right? These would have been churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, some of these names that we're familiar with from the book of Acts. And they've already contributed to this offering. And the thing is, is we already know that churches in Macedonia are poor and that there was a lot of strife and there was a lot of problems there. Paul has written to us about all of these troubles he had in Macedonia. And they are suffering. Yet by the grace of God in their lives, they find a way to contribute to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And it almost feels like when you read that passage, when you read that little section, verse 4 of chapter 8, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It was almost like Paul wasn't going to bother to ask them, but they came to Paul saying, no, 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 we got to do this. And Paul's like, y'all as broke as they are. No, no, we still got to do this. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, the the generosity of the Macedonians is is surprising for a couple of reasons, right? They had committed themselves fully to God. And there was this recommitment to living a holy life for Christ in them. And there was this recommitment to understanding that What we have is not ours to begin with. It already belongs to the Holy One who created all the universe. And all we got to do is steward it for a little bit. They had that idea in them. And, And when we look at this, they had not just committed money and finances to the cause in Jerusalem. They committed personal assistance to Jerusalem as well. Look at verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They were willing to go and travel from Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea and and these other places in Macedonia to Jerusalem to support that church. They were willing to go and do that. So this is this gracious generosity And it's a gracious generosity that that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that always leads the true followers of Christ to give more than just finances. A true follower of Christ will give of themselves. And even though, as we've read, the Corinthian church, like a lot of other churches, has been riddled with some problems. Now, some of those are a little more daunting than some other churches may have. But they, they also had some great strengths about them, right? So, so even with all of the mess that was happening that Paul had written to the Corinthian church about in 1 Corinthians, they had some strengths. And Paul's going to pull on those strengths. He uses those strengths to make his appeal for them to show their earnestness for the work of the gospel. You're good at these things. You're good at knowledge. You're good at faith. You're good at speech. You're you're good at having earnestness. Use these things, right? And and he he tells them to use those things and reminds them that you have these riches here. And he tells them, use that. And then in verse 7, he throws down a little bit of a gauntlet kind of thing. He throws out a little challenge. He uses that story of the Macedonian generosity to to kind of challenge the Corinthian church. Look at all the things that you are good at, he says. You're good at speech. You're good at faith. You're good at knowledge. 
You, you know you can be good at graciously giving for the cause of Christ because you're good at these other things. Now, if the Macedonians can give to this cause, surely the church in Corinth can easily give to this cause, right? There's, there's almost a little tug there at that, like that friendly competition between churches. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for, for sister congregations who, who love each other to try to outdo one another in love towards another congregation. I believe that's kind of a Romans 12 concept that Paul's already told us about. That we should be looking to do those sorts of things. See, giving to gospel ministries is going to be voluntary. Paul's not, Paul's not really like poking and prodding. But he's given them all the opportunities, right? It's a voluntary thing. It should not be done through compulsion by men, right? When it's voluntary and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, giving generously, giving graciously brings blessing and it brings joy. There is a satisfying feeling knowing you are contributing to the ability of others to do gospel work. To just know that I'm a part of that too through what I have done. Through, through what I have given, I have helped advance the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel that came to me and now I can give to someone else. That's a, a gracious giving. And Paul continues on, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And this is the crux of the matter. This is it. Jesus gave up all of the riches of heaven as the eternal Son of God to suffer the humility of his incarnation. Now, we, we don't talk about that very often, but there's, there's humility in Jesus becoming man, God in the flesh, right? The humility of God being carried in a womb for nine months. The humility of God being birthed in a stable and laid in a, in a manger, a trough for food. The humility of God needing to be potty trained or his diapers being changed. We don't talk about it, but that's that's part of that humility. The humility of God going through his awkward teenage years. Zits and all. The humility of God not being accepted as a prophet in his own community. The humility of God serving only to be killed. Bringing salvation to all. Right? There's humility in, in Jesus' incarnation and, and his death on the cross. And, and he suffered that. <clears throat> he gave up all of those riches so that you and I could be made rich through the blessings of salvation and eternal life. He did it willingly. Willingly. So that you and I could have eternal life. And that's what this is about. That, that Jesus gave that up for us to have what he has. 
What Jesus has done for the church in Corinth should be reflected in what they do for others. And, and what Christ has done for us should be reflected in what we do for others. This is, this is sometimes called the great exchange, right? Where Jesus switches places with us, the guilty rebels, and we then get his righteousness. We, we, he takes on our sin and we get his blessings. And this is what the gospel message is, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us because of all that he has done for us, even our finances are to reflect the riches that have been given to us through Jesus Christ. Take note of verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what he does not have. Verse 12 is one to look at. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what he does not have. As Paul is writing this, what I notice right away is that there is no pressure to give a specific amount. Right? That this is not a, a, a church fund drive where we're, we're trying to put in a new building. We need $150 from every member of the church. This is not one of those situations. There's no pressure to give a specific amount. There's no pressure to give till it hurts. Some of us have heard those sermons. Paul's not preaching that. There's no pressure here to give sacrificially either. And I know some of us have heard that as well. The call here is to give graciously, is to give as you can give. Not to give what from what you don't have, but to give just from what you do have. Do not give beyond what you can afford. I want you to think about that. That's, that's what, what I'm seeing here as I'm looking at this. And then he talks about there's, there's also a matter of giving fairly and, and fairness. Right? Paul is not calling the church in Corinth to share their possessions equally. This is not a, a matter of we're going to sell everything we have and live communally and, and everybody's going to have the same amount. That's not what he's saying. He's also not calling on the church in Corinth to give to the poorer churches in Macedonia. There's a specific goal. We're going to help the believers in Jerusalem with this particular offering. Yes, there are other hurting people out there. There are other suffering churches. There are other poorer congregations. We're giving to this one particular one at this time. We're not going to try to spread your resources so thin they don't do any good. He's asking them to think about it, to pray about it, and then to give their fair share to the extreme needs to the church in Jerusalem. And see, and we too are called to contribute our fair share to gospel ministries and to gospel causes as well. That's what we're getting at here. Verse 15, Paul quotes from Exodus 16, 18. A little bit. And, and he's talking about and it reminds us of God's provision of manna during the Exodus, right? And the thing about that is, is, is now that we have Jesus in our lives, now that Jesus is there, God continues to provide us his provision. And what he's showing us is that his provision now is <coughs> equally sufficient to the Gentile Corinthian church 
as his provision is to the Jewish Jerusalem church. And God uses his people as a means of his provision to one another. He's going to use us back and forth to give and to let others see the love of Christ. Then he gets into verses 16 of chapter 8 through verse 5 of chapter 9. And what happens there is Paul kind of tells the Corinthian church about his ministry co-workers who are going to help him get the offering to the Jerusalem church. He thanks God for these men, and he's really excited to receive their generosity of assistance. These men, Titus, and the famous one, who's never mentioned ever again. We don't know who that guy is. The famous preacher. Your guess is as good as mine. All right, but he's excited that these guys are, are helping him get this offering to Jerusalem. And he thanks God for them, and he thanks God for their, their assistance. And the money they collect and bring to Jerusalem is is really Paul's viewing this as an essential part of his gospel ministry. I have been called to leave my Jewish brothers and sisters behind so that I may take the gospel to Gentiles in a way that that God is allowing me to do it. But I cannot neglect nor forget my Jewish brothers and sisters. And so this is still a part of his gospel call to to take this. This is an extension and an extension a huge expression of his ministry and an expression of the gospel in his life. And he has this team of men who are known for their integrity and and they're accompanying him on the trip. And those men are are Paul's guarantee of of public accountability and transparency for the gifts, right? This is way before you could Western Union somebody some money. You couldn't do a wire transfer. You couldn't go uh, Venmo them or PayPal or, or, you know, any of these sorts of things. You had to literally take a box filled with coins. 3,000 mile trip. And you had to protect it somehow. Right? And so that's what these guys are doing for Paul. They're, they're his accountability partners in this. They're providing that. They're protecting him and the trip and the money from thieves, from robbers, from these folks. And the thing is, is that these men don't have to do this. They're choosing to do it. They're they're doing it voluntarily. And in doing this, they reflect Christ's glory and his love for his people. Paul is, is urging the Corinthian believers to do the same, to give generously to reflect Christ's glory in their lives as well. And I and I love how when Paul's talking about this, he says in verse one of chapter nine, he says, It's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. It's like Paul's telling, I don't need to remind you. I don't, I don't need to tell you how important this is. But, but while I have you here, right? But while I have you here, and then he proceeds to remind them of the dangers of receiving God's grace in a less than genuine way, right? Specifically here, not being generous when the team arrives and, and showing their faith to be less than genuine, and so then they'll miss out on these on the blessings of those who sow bountifully. And Paul often uses uh, uses an often old Old Testament saying here that, that that he says, "You reap what you sow." Right, and he's illustrating that point that that there's there's bountiful harvest when there's bountiful planting. And the thing is, is is God does not command Christians to give a specific amount here. Instead, what we see Paul's illustrating is is that God is is giving us opportunities to give generously. 
When we give generously and we give graciously, God allows us to reap bountifully by bearing the fruit and bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. That's, that's, our, that's our reward. It's bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. It's, it's not going to be more financial gain necessarily. It's not going to be a bigger house and a, and a newer car. It's going to be seeing the gospel lived out in people's lives and knowing that your gracious generosity was part of that, that satisfaction in that. Proverbs 22.9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. This is what Paul's kind of alluding to when he says that God loves a cheerful giver in, in verse 9-7. And God approves of these gifts given from a place of joy. God approves of these gifts that are given from a place of, of grace. And he approves of the motives of the giver because the motives do matter. Because our motives show that there's, there's a contentment in God's grace that, is, that has been given to us as a believer. It recognizes that every good work comes from God and from God alone. The giver, through God's grace, makes it possible to give thanks to God and glory to God through the gift. We don't give the gift to try to get anything back from God. There's no pro quid quo here because if there were, we'd be dust. That's not how it works in God's, God's economy. That's not how it works in his kingdom. The way it does work is that we give because we have already been given so much to, right? And this is a very gospel-centered view of giving. This is the only true way for us to give cheerfully because we can't give cheerfully without the gospel having already been bestowed on us, Right? We are spiritual paupers without the gospel in our lives. We are, we are broke beyond broke. But we have been given this amazing gift. We have been given inexhaustible riches from the God of all the universe. And because of that, we can give generously. Paul continues on and he says, And God is able to make all grace abound in you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Emphasis mine. Right? But what's neat about that is you can see this piling up of some superlatives here. All grace, all sufficiency, all things, all times, every good work. See, Paul's driving home just how complete the grace of God is and how abundant it is as a resource for us as believers that we can tap into it. That there's this outpouring of this grace that brought us into God's kingdom. And it's, and it's this outpouring of grace that will sustain us until we see the face of Jesus right up close and personal. The gracious generosity of God's people shows the righteousness of God in his people. This is, this is one of those things that, that we, we call it a commutable trait, right? That it's, it's this idea that God's righteousness through us then can be shown to other people. This righteousness endures forever because it comes from and is sustained by God's righteousness. Nothing we have done. And he expressed it toward us by graciously giving it to us. 
See, and God promises that he will increase the harvest. Now, I'm going to say it again. Don't understand this as a harvest of material gain. This is the harvest of righteousness in your own life. This is a harvest of sanctification, being made holier before a holy God. See, God promises to us here that, that he will use his people and he will use their resources as instruments of his grace so others may see salvation. And in doing that, God will then provide your need as you continually meet the needs of others for the sake of advancing the gospel. This isn't just meeting their needs for meeting their needs. Meeting their needs for the sake of advancing the gospel. See, again, it goes back to that idea that the, the collection that Paul's taking is an integral part to Paul's ministry. It's an integral part of the gospel. Giving graciously is an act of public worship. Same as us singing songs. Same as us hearing and responding to the word. It's an act of public worship. And it causes others to offer thanks to God for what he is doing in your life. I'm always amazed when I think about that phrase. It causes others to offer thanks to God for what he's doing in your life. Right? Anytime I go to a, to a conference, it seems like, and there's missionaries present, first thing the missionaries say is, thank you for giving. We appreciate what God is doing in you so that we can do what God has called us to do. That's what Paul's getting at. It's that kind of mentality here. How, how what God is doing in our lives lets others be thankful for what God is doing in theirs, right? It, it, it lets his righteousness shine through you for their sake. And it's a sign that God's grace abounds in you. It's a sign that God's grace shines through you for others. See, these, these two chapters of, of 2 Corinthians are are a call to obedience. It's a call to be obedient because of the grace that God has given us. Right? God's grace causes us to become obedient. This grace that, that Paul's talking about in these two chapters is his inexpressible gift in verse 15 of chapter 9, right? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's a grace that's, that's worth singing about. It's a grace worth everything it's a grace that shows the the glory of god in our lives and to others around us it shows god's very godness right who he is and true followers of of jesus have had hearts turned upside down and our hearts have been turned inside out by this grace of god in our lives when that happens we no longer desire our own glory but only desire to see God's glory. We seek to honor him and we seek to, to show him and to show how he graciously gave to us by graciously giving ourselves. So how do we do that? What do we do? Right? There's, there's no longer this apostolic collection for Christ followers in Jerusalem. Right? I, I haven't seen that box come around in a couple thousand years. So that's not quite how that works. So what do we do? What does the church in 2022 do to begin giving graciously? Remember that this collection was seen as an essential way 
to spread the gospel. So we begin there. What are ways to give that are essential to the spread of the gospel message of Jesus Christ? What are ways that we do that? All right, first, you're, going to, you're honestly going to begin with your local church. Our local church is to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Giving to that helps us do it. All right, so this is the question people want to know. So, so is this when I have to give my 10%? Is this where that tithe comes in? The answer is, only if the Holy Spirit has convinced you of that. If you have been convicted of the tithe, give the tithe. I'm not going to turn it down, right? But what does Paul say? Paul says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. Some may give more. Some may give less. I I think we're okay to say that here scripturally. That's okay. But it's also going to mean not just giving to your local church. It's also going to mean to to contribute to other gospel-proclaiming ministries. Right? Within our church, if you don't know of other potential gospel proclaiming ministries, in our church, there are opportunities like we've talked about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Anything that we receive in the name of those particular offerings keep missionaries and church planters on the field by paying their salaries. It doesn't go to overhead costs, it doesn't pay for other things. It's strictly that. It may also mean giving beyond what we think about within our church and with our convention of churches. Lee and I contribute to student ministries that we believe in. We contribute to some evangelists and church training ministers that we personally know and we've worked with. We have helped church planters here in the state of Indiana directly, as well as church planters in other states directly. We love giving to those things because we love to see our friends in Christ flourish in sharing the gospel. It has nothing to do with just giving because we like those. We like to see them excited about being able to share the gospel. We like getting those newsletters. I know that's corny, but we love those missionary newsletters we get from them. We love to read about what's happening in their families. We love to know these things. We want to, want to have a, a part of that because of what God has given to us. Right? But it also means, like Titus and the Macedonian volunteers, you may give of your personal resources. You may give of your personal time. You may give of your personal expertise in some matters as well. This is giving graciously. It means that we're giving because God has given us so much, you cannot not help. And and when you cannot not help, then you you give to others because God has so given you so much, right? That that, that you, you want to give so that God's glory may abound. Today, as we, we wrap up, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to pray and ask God to, to show you some spots where maybe you can give. I'm not asking you to to set aside a certain amount. I'm not asking you to 
to do anything other than to think about the graciousness of God in your life and how he has blessed you, then how can you take his graciousness poured onto you and use it to bless others for the sake of the gospel? It might mean having a family conversation. I mean, it's getting to be tax time. You're going to be having those conversations about finances anyway. Why not go ahead and have them about how to give graciously toward the gospel as well? Would you go ahead and pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this day you've given to us. We thank you for this time we've had to be in your word. We thank you that you have graciously given us and bestowed upon us riches upon riches of your grace and that resource that it creates in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to give graciously for the sake of the gospel. Let us, in our graciousness, through you, bless others.